Money, money, that's what we're going to talk about today is money. Um, it's good to see you guys here on Daylight Losing Day. I was walking into the building this morning at about uh, 7, and I wasn't sure if it was 6 or 7 or 8, and uh, I mean, there wasn't very much sunlight out, so I was all confused. I'm like, darn, did I turn it the wrong way, or well, what's going on here? I'm all confused. It's just a mess, so... Someday they'll do away with all this and go be smart like Arizona, right? The Arizonians that stay with the same darn time all the time. Or, or someone said, why don't they just, why don't they just do like they do in the fall and we gain the hour and then just forget it and just stay there you know, for the rest of the time. So the rest of your life, you got one extra hour for the rest of your life. Be kind of cool. Well, we're going to talk about Money today, and uh, as most of you guys know, I have a son. His name is Andy. He is nine years old, and he loves money. He he loves it. Uh, he cannot wait for his birthday because he knows on his birthday he's going to get some money. And so he's always counting down the days to his birthday when he gets some money. And this year he didn't get the check. Uh, grandmas and grandpas this year were giving him cash, and so he. Had, cash and he just oh wow cash he was so excited about all this money and he just felt it for a while but he had another problem because he wanted an electric scooter really bad and so all the cash he had equaled the electric scooter and so there was this battle whether he wanted the money or the electric scooter more and so you could see it was really churning in him about which way to go well that's what we're going to talk about today is money and and giving. Um, last week, if you missed our time, it was a great time in Second Corinthians chapter seven. We talked about sorrow and repentance, and we talked about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and how godly sorrow leads us to repentance and ultimately salvation, while worldly sorrow will lead us to regret and ultimately death. And there's no better example, of course, of worldly sorrow than Judas, and we talked about him and what Judas and how he betrayed Christ and how he felt after betraying Christ that he was in deep regret and remorse. And he had such remorse that he wanted to give back the money that he had stolen. And he he called it blood money. He just gave it back to the Pharisees because he had worldly sorrow, though. His reaction to that was to kill himself. His reaction was death. But remember, life is a parity, and where there's a Judas, there's always another example. Thank God there's a Peter. And for Peter, we know he denied Christ three times, and he wept bitterly after he denied Christ. Yet his sorrow was not worldly sorrow. His sorrow was godly sorrow. What great examples of how Peter reacted to um, his sin and what he did in betraying Christ, that after Christ, he heard that he came back from the dead, what did he do? He ran to the tomb. He ran to the tomb. And then we know after the resurrection, he saw Jesus up in a, on the shore while he was in a boat. And what did he do? Jumped off the boat and started swimming into Jesus. What a great reaction. What a great example of what we should do when falling went after a sin and feeling sorry for what we've done, that we should run back to the feet of Christ and go back to him who's the only one who can forgive us of our sins. So when we sin, we need to own our sin. We talked about owning our sin. We talked about confessing it to Christ, the only one who can forgive us. And then we talked about producing fruit of repentance, taking steps towards repentance. 
Last week we talked about what that looks like, being sad about our sin, being angry about our sin, feeling guilty about our sin, owning our sin, being specific with others about our sin, yet not staying there, right? We don't want to stay there in that state. We want to move on, and that's what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to move on toward repentance. We need to make things right with God and the person that we sinned against. We need to clear our name, reestablish trust, and long for our relationship with God and others to be reunited. Then we need to develop a zeal, right? After that, we need to develop a zeal or, or, or a pursuit of holiness and righteousness in our lives keeping every thought captive in obedience to Christ, saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. So if you struggle with alcohol, that means don't be around people that drink. Don't go to bars or be around near liquor stores. If you struggle with the Internet, don't be home alone. Have accountability. Put blockers on your computer. If you struggle with gossip, don't be around people that gossip and lead you down that direction. Be with people that hold you accountable. Lastly, we talked about avenging every wrong. We talked about Zacchaeus as a great example of someone who avenged every wrong. He's a wee little man, right? But he has a huge heart. And I'd imagine that uh, after he came to know Christ, he was lifted of a tremendous burden. He went around his whole life with this tremendous burden of robbing his own countrymen, stealing from his own fellow Jews his whole life, and I'm sure he felt guilt-ridden his whole life. And So when he came to know Christ and was forgiven of those sins, he showed amazing repentance, and he avenged every wrong. He gave half of everything he owned to the poor, and four times of what he stole back to every person he stole from. He showed true steps towards repentance. There's another group of people that had that same kind of reaction. We're going to talk about them today. After they came to know Christ, they gave, and those people were known as the Macedonians. They're a group of people that are very poor, and they're also going through tremendous trials. And so they had no money and were going through tremendous trials. So what their, should their response be? Probably to moan and complain and whine about it, right? That's what most of us would do. That's what I would do. But we'll see their response is different. Their response is to give generously. This group is talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll talk about that today. 2 Corinthians is actually the third letter that Paul has written. Uh, The first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth was known as 1 Corinthians. The second letter is known as the harsh letter or the severe letter, and and we don't have it anymore. And as I thought about this, as I thought about that this week, it's probably why they don't have that letter is because the church probably tore it up or burnt it, right? They weren't probably too proud of this letter. This letter probably had a lot of bad stuff in it. And if they did truly repent, then they don't need to dwell in those sins and what they did in the past. And they're probably like, man, let's get rid of that thing. I don't want that around anymore. And so there is the third letter, and that's the one we are in today, is that Second Corinthians. That's the third letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And in this letter we see Paul going to great lengths to reconcile and to restore his relationship with the the Corinthians. He's gone to great lengths to clear his name, to defend his apostleship, to proclaim the truth, and to exalt the name of Christ. Today we turn to a new topic, and that is giving. And I always thought that when we got to chapter 8 or 9, it was going to be Dan or Dean preaching on this, not me, so I didn't even really think about it. But now it's going to be me, and so I'm like, okay, God, you got something to teach me here, right? 
And so I'm going to be spending a couple weeks in chapter 8, and then we're going to take a short break for Easter. And then Chris, who probably has the same feeling I did, he's like, why am I teaching on giving? He gets to go in chapter 9 as we get to continue to talk about giving. And so I hope today that uh, your your paradigm for giving will be shifted because it is for me as I've gone through God's word, I've I've really got to search my heart on what I think about giving and, and my relationship with God and what my giving and my money have in relationship to God. And so if you're open your heart today, I think your your heart will be changed and you'll be convicted and changed and from God's word and, and what your relationship is with God and, and your money. So if you're new here today, you're probably starting getting nervous, right? I start trying to feel your wallet. Like, uh-oh, they want my money. I want my money. Better hold on tight. Well, if you're new here today, just relax. We don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And that's true for all of us. God wants our heart. He doesn't want our money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. And so we'll see that that is a falling out of our giving is, is where our heart is. Many churches shy away from talking about money. And I'd probably put this church in that category. We have rarely talked about money in our seven, eight-year history. But uh, many churches also talk about money too much. But money is important to God. Uh, Jesus actually spends 15% of his words in the gospel talking about money. Second only to hell and heaven of what he talks about. So money is important to God. Money is important to Jesus, and he talked about that. Without money, we'd not be able to have this building. Without money, we'd not be able to have a full-time pastor or an administrator or people to take care of this building. Without money, we wouldn't have been able to plant a church in Greeley or to help new church works and mission work in the Czech Republic and in Wilmington. Without money, we'd not be able to, to eat, to not have a roof over our head. So money is important, and we need to talk about that. So let's talk about money and our relationship to God, and, and we're going to go through that, and I said in the next four weeks, and what we do here, if you're new, we uh, go through verse by verse in the Bible. We don't skip anything. You know, if it was my gathering, I'd say, let's skip eight, let's just talk about something else for a while before Easter, and then maybe let someone else do this after Easter. But no, we teach verse by verse through the Bible. We don't skip any verses, and so that's where we are. We're in Second Corinthians, and we're in chapter 8. So if you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 today. And the theme today is motivation for giving. Paul had informed the church in Corinth of a severe need of the saints in Jerusalem. Why was there this need in Jerusalem? Well, as we know from Acts, the church in Jerusalem started at Pentecost. And from Acts chapter 2, we see that 3,000 men were saved in one day. And later on, there's references to another probably 5,000 men. So this church in Jerusalem had now become a mega church. It was probably over upwards of 10,000 because that's just documenting the men that were saved. There were probably women and children along with that. So this is a large church. And this church is made up of pilgrims generally because they came into Jerusalem from all areas for that for the celebration. So they're all there, and then they come, and they come to saving faith in Christ, and so now they probably, they were Jews, and now they became Christians, so they probably had no place to go. They probably thought, well, I can't go back home, and how am I going to tell all the folks at home that I, now I'm not a Jew anymore, I'm a follower of this man named Christ. 
And so they probably just stayed there not knowing what to do. And also, there was a, probably a draw to stay in Jerusalem because the apostles were there. And the apostles were teaching in that area. So they wanted to learn more and more what it meant to be a follower of Christ. So they stayed there. So these folks had no home, no place to go. So they're very impoverished. They were in dire need. And that's what Paul made known to the church in Corinth. He told them about this great need in, in, of the saints in Jerusalem and the church in Jerusalem. So he was there the, for 18 months, Paul, when he started the church, and he let them know about this need, and the Corinthians gave to this need. And then he left, and probably what happened is the false apostles came in and said, you don't need to give to that anymore, that's from Paul. And they probably tore down that, as, as including all the other things that they tore down that Paul had told them to do. And so they stopped giving. So we pick up in verse 1 with Paul giving now an example of the churches in Macedonia. So let's look at verses 1 through 9, if you will, and, and I'll, it should be up on the screen here, and I'll uh, read it. I'll read it. I'm going to probably reading out of the NIV today, and up on the screen is the NAS, so whatever your translation is, we'll read from that. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Verse 1 says, And now, brothers, we want to know about the grace. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trials, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also a completion, this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this passage today, and I just uh, know that we, if we open our hearts to you and your word, and let the, the Spirit prompt us, that you will convict us and change us. And Lord, uh, this is something we don't talk about much. It's an uncomfortable topic to talk about in money. But Lord, it's important to you. It's in your word. You spent much of time uh, on the earth talking about it. And you know it is a a problem for many people. Uh, Many of us, uh, there are people in this body are in very financial struggles right now of whether to even make ends meet if they have enough money to put food on the table. They have enough money to pay rent, Lord. But you know, you know our needs, and, and you provide everything for us. You said you provide for the birds in the air, and, and you will provide for us, Lord. And so we just trust you with that, and, and in complete dependency to you on that. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that you'd speak through your word, that you'd help us to be motivated to give, not because out of compulsion but because of how much you've done for us. 
that we would give out of grace and and Lord that we'd give first because you gave first to us and we'd give back to you. And Lord, you know our hearts, you know <clears throat> just how much we can give and whether that be a percentage or just something that Lord you've put on our heart, we'll just trust you with that. We just pray that you would speak through your word and that uh, your word would uh, be clear and that truth would be clear in our hearts and that we could draw close to you and that we could worship you in our giving. And that would be an outpouring of love that that we could give back just a small portion of what you've given to us. So, Lord, speak through me today and, and bless this time in your precious name. Amen. All right, there's some handouts in the back. If you guys want to go along with the slides, you can pick out some of the handouts in the back. Um, and and really, the the overarching theme of this in the next probably four weeks is that our giving should be motivated by grace. It should be motivated by the grace of God. That's where our motivation should come from, is the grace of God. And you can really determine the spiritual health of a church by looking at their giving. And so every week we get a report from Rick Kramer about the giving every every week. And I tell you, sometimes we're going, whoa, what's going on with this church? We just, is there any even a pulse? It's kind of scary sometimes what we see. And so I know, you know, if you guys have ever taken a first aid or CPR, have you guys taken that class? I, I just recently took first aid and CPR. And so what do you do? If you see a victim that's gone, had a trauma, what do you need to do? Yeah, you got to check for vitals, right? you got to come up, check for vitals. Or are they breathing? Check, check their pulse. Is their heart beating? You know, is there, can they move? Is everything okay? So you check for vitals. And so in the same way you check a patient or a victim for vials, that's one indication of the spiritual health of a church is to really see what their giving is like. <clears throat> so I asked uh, Rick to kind of go back and look over the last year of 2007 and, and see what the giving at Windsor Community Church has been like. And so if we could put that slide up there. Thanks for doing this, Rick. He did it in a short amount of time this week, so I appreciate him putting that together. So here's, here's kind of some statistics, some information for you to think about from, from Windsor Community Church's giving in 2007. 2007, we had 65 giving units. So a giving unit is generally a family, but for some people it may be just an individual. So 65 different families or individuals gave to Windsor Community Church in 2007. And the average of that giving was $3,368. Sounds pretty good. <clears throat> but the median, the median of that giving is $1,750. And the reason for that is there's some high, there's a, a couple of very large givers. And so the average is higher than the median because if you guys know statistics, the median is an actual number of an actual middle person. So that 32nd and a half person or whatever it is in between, that's the median is $1,750. Um, about 80% of our giving comes from about a quarter of the givers. All right. And another interesting statistic that Rick found is that the top 10% or seven giving units give almost half of our budget. Thank God for those top givers, or else I don't know where we'd be. Um, the median income in Windsor is like $47,000. And so since the median 
giving is around $1,750, that would put us at about 3.7% or slightly above the national average. So what's the national average? Two and three percent. Okay, so we're slightly above the national average in giving. So we, I present that to you really is just as information, not to not to guilt you, but really to prompt your heart with God's word and and to motivate you to give. And that your motivation, though, not need to be out of guilt or obligation. That our motivation will see through God's word is going to be by the grace of God. Grace giving should be our motivation to give. Giving is something we should not do out of obligation, but out of our heart. We need to be like Zacchaeus. See, Zacchaeus, he knew what Christ did for him. And he knew he couldn't repay Jesus back for this amazing burden of guilt of the sin he committed. He knew he couldn't repay him back, but he tried to do the best he can. And he gave back half of what he had to the poor, and he gave back four times that amount to those that he had wronged. So today we're going to look at an example of a group of people called the Macedonians and the Macedonian church. So if you put up the slide of the church there, there's a, there's a map of Macedonia, and that's not a term we probably use frequently because it's not a nation anymore. It's usually around, um, I think it's Yugoslavia, Slovenia, Bulgaria, that kind of an area uh, in modern day. Um, and this area is part of where Paul went through on his missionary journey, and he had three different churches there. There's one in uh, Philippi, one in Thessalonica, and one in Berea. And so these that's the group that he's talking about here, is this area in Macedonia. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is that their giving was regardless of their circumstances. They gave regardless of their circumstances. And we'll talk about that just in a minute in verse 1 and 2. And secondly, they gave with enthusiasm and, and energy and excitement. That's what they gave. And then thirdly, we'll see that they gave because Christ, of what Christ did for them. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So this church was going through tremendous trials. Tremendous trials, as even says in the NAS, a great ordeal of affliction. And not only were they going through these serious trials, they were very poor. They were very poor. So this probably this poorness in these trials is probably because of their faith in Christ. We see that a lot in in worlds that perse- in, in countries that persecute Christians, in China and India, where once they became a follower of Christ, then their, their own profession, their own livelihood is many times put in jeopardy. So many of these Macedonians were possibly idol makers. And once they put their faith in Christ, they, they were convicted that, man, I can't make idols anymore. And so they gave up that profession and went and just tried to look for work. And so that maybe likely that a lot of this this their poverty is from them becoming Christians and the trials they're having is because they became followers in Christ. So the text uh, doesn't just say, though, that they were poor. It says that they were in deep poverty, deep poverty. Uh, this is also translated as rock-bottom destitution. It's pretty darn poor. Huh? This is kind of fourth world to me, it sounds like. And isn't that true, though, that the poor people are, that the more generous givers they are? You see, I don't have the statistics of it, but it's typically true that the poorer people will give more money. 
And you, you always hear about the Bill Gates and the Oprah Winfrey's giving millions of dollars, but in comparison and percentage to how much money they have, I'm sure it's not even a tenth of a percent of what they're worth. Yeah, you look at many of the poor people, I'm sure the percentage of what they give is far greater than that. <clears throat> so how did the Macedonians respond to their trials and their poverty? You know, did they, like you said, did they moan about it and say, oh, we so poor, we, we so poor we can't even afford the word poor, we can't even afford a vow, I mean, we, we're so poor? No, that's not what they did. They had an abundance of joy and an, an overflowing of wealth and liberality. What a bizarre equation, right? They, they, they're poor. They're going through severe trials. And yet, that equaled an abundance of joy and a wealth of liberality. I mean, in the world, that does not compute. But you add one thing in that equation and it makes sense. And that's the grace of God. The grace of God produced in them an abundance of joy and a wealth and liberality. I was reading through uh, parts of Randy Alcorn's book, Treasury Principle, and trying to get through most of it as we look in this study. And he has a great por- uh, quote. It says, Giving isn't a luxury of the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. I've discovered that impoverished Christians find no greater joy than in giving. And as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond with generous giving. God's grace trumps the circumstances of life. The response to God's grace is worship back to Him, giving back to Him. We usually see that in singing songs, right? We usually see worship as singing, or maybe going to church possibly, or listening to sermons, or even in maybe serving in the youth group or Sunday school or some kind of ministry. But worship is also giving. Giving is a great form of worship and giving back to God what he so overwhelmingly gave to us. So we see that despite the circumstances of the Macedonians, they gave with great joy and a wealth of liberality. So what does that mean, liberality? Well, it means great or rich generosity as we see in the NIV. It can also mean the quality of giving freely with no constraint. I think about uh, one about Mountain View Community Church. Um, it's our mother church, and they're going through a building campaign right now. And they're a very young church. There's a lot of college students. There are a lot of young families in that. And so they're trying to build a building, and so they've asked their body to give above and beyond their normal giving towards this building. And by God's grace, they've seen about a $1.5 million given towards this building campaign, which is a tremendous Amount. I mean, the pastors of that church are so encouraged to see this kind of giving out of such a young church. And I also think about the principle that the more you give, the more is given back to you. Right? Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I see, example, my wife, she is a great giver. Um, when we first got married, it was kind of a battle because I grew up differently. My dad was very frugal, and so I just obtained those uh, qualities, if you were. I remember when I was 11 and 12, I had a uh, paper route, and I made about 75 bucks a month. And I tell you what, I saved every darn penny of that. 
I was very frugal and I wanted all that money. So I saved and I saved and I saved and I never spent a dime. So when I got married, my wife was the opposite end of the spectrum. Boy, if she had the money in the pocket, it was out. It was spent right away. And generally, though, it was not on herself. She was always giving to other people. And so I'd find out, oh, you did you bought your, your sister what? We, we can't afford that. Or you've got a flower arrangement for who? You know, and she's always giving people stuff and giving gifts. And, and I used to battle it going, man, we just can't afford you giving all this stuff all the time. But I didn't understand this principle very well. My wife does. Because the more she gave, the more we see given back to us. And it's just, it just blows me away how much people give to us. I mean, we see money given to us. We see clothes given to us. Come over to our garage. We got about 12 bikes in our garage. People just give us stuff. Our garage is packed with things because they just see the generosity in my wife and how she gives, and they just pour it back on us. So it's just an encouragement to you guys that don't, and it's been encouragement to me, is to not hold back. That that you can't outgive God. I mean, that's why I just told him, we can't outgive God. And so if we're going to give to others, he will so richly bless us. And to not worry about those things. So also see, now in verses 3 and 4, that giving needs to be with enthusiasm. And the Macedonians had an enthusiasm for giving. Now let's see how they give. How did they give? It says, they gave according to their ability and beyond. And the NAV says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So in the Bible, we see really no fixed amount. Or I should say the New Testament, we see no real fixed amount for giving. In the Old Testament, we do see the concept of tithing. And we'll, we'll look at that, though, in the New Testament, in our studies, we will see that there's no real fixed amount. But that... God wants us to be cheerful and sacrificial givers and, and to give with enthusiasm, out of, out of a privilege to give, not out of obligation. And then on it says that the Macedonians gave of their own accord, or they even they gave um, entirely on their own. This means that they gave of their own initiative. They were self-motivated, and then they gave spontaneously. The Macedonians were not coerced or guilted into giving by Paul. They, Paul didn't come in and give a nice uh, movie presentation or slideshow presentation with a bunch of starving children and said, Oh, poor these children, and if you would just give, you know. No, he didn't guilt them into it with stuff like that. They gave voluntarily, on their own accord, spontaneously. They wanted to give. So... One question we kind of need to bring up here is, is should, should Christians tithe? As followers in the New Testament, should we tithe? And you may be new, you don't know what a tithe is, but a tithe is typically known as 10% of, of income. 10% of your income is, a, is known as the tithe. And so whether that's before taxes or after, I've heard, I've heard arguments all kinds of ways, different ways. But we also see in the Old Testament that they gave the first fruits of their harvest. In Exodus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy 18, it talks about how they'd have a harvest time, and once they harvested from that time, they'd give the best of the best of, of the harvest, and they'd give that back to God. So it didn't give actual percent, but it said we gave first fruits. So that can be 
any variety there of what that meant. And, and it was kind of a voluntary thing. It was on their own accord that they would give those first fruits back. And I just started reading some of this book John MacArthur has. It's called Whose Money Is It Anyway? And he says this, he says, uh, despite the claims of those who advocate mandatory tithing, Christian giving is entirely voluntary. Paul does not require a fixed amount from any of his writings. The argument for tithing is based on a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. Its proponents argue that tithing not only was commanded in Mosaic law, but also existed before it. Therefore, they maintain tithing transcends the law and is a universal divine standard for giving. But that seemingly convincing argument is seriously flawed. First, it is faulty reason to assume that an ordinance is permanent merely because it existed before the law was given. Look at the Sabbath or animal sacrifices. So if you believe in tithing as a law or is commanded, then you should also still be sacrificing animals. Um, most references in scripture, scripture, most references in scripture, we see that that um, tithing is is voluntary. It gives a two examples of that, or is in of Abraham in Genesis chapter fourteen. So flip back to Genesis chapter fourteen, and let's look at that real quickly. <clears throat> so one's of Abraham, and the other is of Jacob. Genesis 14, verse 20. Genesis 14, verse 20. Um, Genesis 14, verse 20 says, And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this is talking in reference to um, Melchizedek, the king of um, Salaam, that he gave back to him a tenth of everything that he had. And then flip forward to um, Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 28, about Jacob. And this is in reference to Jacob's dream and the battle that he had and when he was at Bethel and he placed the monument. And in verse 20 it says, Then then Jacob made a vow saying, God, if, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothing to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar to be God's house, and all that you gave me, I will give you a tenth. And so we see in these two references that they gave a tenth, or they tithe, but these two examples ended up being one-time events. There's no other record of them ever giving again. So... Believers are really not to base their giving on the Old Testament principle of tithing, but on the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in detail here. We see in verse 4 that the Macedonians also, they gave voluntarily and spontaneously. It says, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Um, The NIV reads, they urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So the Macedonians, uh, they saw it really as that privilege, like I said before, a privilege, not an obligation to support the saints in Jerusalem. They saw themselves as part of God's work around the world for the furtherance of the gospel. And what greater place to give, right, than, than to Jerusalem where Christ died, the birth of Christianity, the first Christian church where the apostles were teaching. They saw that as a privilege to be able to give to that. 
I mean, how many times have you heard church members begging you to take an offering? I rarely do. Urging you for the opportunity to give. Most of the time you see churches passing plates or passing out envelopes for reminders every month to give. You never hear of people saying, well, you know what? I didn't see a place for you to give, and I really would love to give to your church. Can I give to your church? You, you rarely see that, but that's what the church in Macedonia was doing. They, Paul wasn't even talking to them about this. They had just heard about these saints in Jerusalem, and they begged, they pleaded, they urged with Paul, Paul, let us give. And Paul's probably going, you guys, you, you guys barely have enough. We were barely getting some meals lately. And you guys want to give to the church in Jerusalem? Wow. I'm sure he's just blown away by this, these guys in Macedonia and how they gave. So now, finally, we want to look at, at that they gave because, because of what Christ did. So let's look at verse 5. We see in verse 5 that before we can truly give financially, we need to first give ourselves to the Lord. It's hard to give when you don't have fellowship with the Lord, right? I mean, that's really just legalism, just to give out of just because that's what I do. That's just another form of legalism, another form of working our way to God. We see here that the Macedonians gave because they had first given themselves to the Lord. And as I said before, giving really needs to be an act of worship to the Lord. Romans chapter 12 says, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So worship of God, as it says, not just singing songs and attending church and giving money. It's also giving of one's life. Giving of one's life daily. It comes back to what we talked about last week. We talked about repentance and how we need to turn from our sin. And how we need to turn to God, denying ourselves every day, taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves and following Christ. We need to give to ourselves first to Christ. That is why Christ is more concerned really with your heart than what you give. God wants true, intimate fellowship with you. And as an outpouring of that, we'll worship Him in song and we'll worship Him in giving because of the tremendous debt He forgave us of. See, when Christ died on the cross, we had a billion-dollar debt to pay. And when he died on the cross, the last things he were, the last words he uttered was, to tell us die, tell us die, or it is finished, or even more completely translated, paid in full. See, he paid our billion-dollar debt, a debt we could absolutely never repay, and he paid it. In full, he paid for all our sins in the past that we'd ever committed, for all the sins that in the future that we'll ever commit. He paid an insurmountable debt we could never pay back. So because of that, we need to give of ourselves first to Christ, and then as an outpouring of that, give back to him, first with a heart of worship, and then with our finances. Another lesson we can learn from the Macedonians was that they gave out of a love for others. They knew that their giving was a sacrifice, yet out of their love for the saints in Jerusalem, they gave sacrificially. They were exhibiting the law of love, right? The perfect law, that they loved the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And yet they loved their neighbor as their self. They loved others and counted them more important than themselves. And they also gave, as we see in verse 6, they gave to the pastors. Um, Verse 6 or actually in the end of verse 5, it says, First to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will, so that we urge Titus, since 
he was earlier made a beginning to bring also a completion, this act of grace. So they gave to the pastors, they gave to Paul and Titus and Timothy, they provided for them. Their giving was motivated out of love, which was such a rebuke to the Corinthians. Right? The Corinthians, they were, they were a prideful bunch. And I'm sure the Corinthians were much wealthier, as we know. The, the town and the city of Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was a cosmopolitan city, had a lot of money. And I believe the church in Corinth probably had a lot of money, too, as we see references as to their great feasts and so forth. But they're very prideful. The Corinthians were very prideful. So Paul notes here in verse 7 that the Corinthians, though, they abounded in everything. And we look back in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul lists all the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians had, that they exhibited. And then he kind of rephrases them here in verse 7. He says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So he says, you got all these spiritual gifts, Corinthians. you got all these amazing blessings, yet you don't give. It doesn't make sense. God has given you so many gifts, spiritual gifts and speaking and knowledge and wisdom, and yet your finances aren't there. They're not matching up with these other great gifts that, that God is giving you. So we must never argue that in ministry that our spiritual gifts really are a substitute for our spirit, for our spiritual giving. We must never say things like, and I've heard this said, well, you know what? I work in Sunday school, so I'm not going to give. Or I'm a youth leader, and so I give less because my giving is in ministry. I've heard that said by people before. Well, that's, that's basically a cop-out or an excuse. I mean, we should never say, okay, basically what we're saying is, okay, God, you've gifted me in this ministry, and that's basically my only gift. I don't have to have a gift of giving too. No, God, if he's given you the gift, if he's given you these spiritual gifts, it should be an outpouring of everything you do in ministry and in giving. And everything you do should be of giving because they're all gifts from God. We see from verse 8 that Paul was not ordering or commanding the Corinthians to give, but giving them as an example, as a group of Christians that gave voluntarily, generously, and sacrificially. So we see in verse 8 that Paul is really challenging them. Let's read verse 8. and says, uh, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So he's challenging the church in Corinth. He's saying, Corinthians, look at these Macedonians who are far poorer than you. And yet they give generously. They give spontaneously. And they give voluntarily. And now I'm having to kind of to prompt you guys to give. And so he's kind of convicting them by the Spirit, hoping the Spirit would convict them uh, towards their giving. Finally, Paul points out that the Macedonians followed the example of Christ in their giving. Though they were poor, they still gave. Verse 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that though through his poverty you might become rich. And the NIV translates it as this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know that Christ left the riches of heaven. He left all the eternal glory 
the highest of high, and he came down to earth. And he became a man. He became not just a man, but he became a son of a carpenter. And he grew up in a lowly town in Nazareth. He left all the riches and powers of heaven, and he gave it up to become poor for our sake. Uh, there's a great story that kind of is an example of this, and it's about a uh, it's about a uh, Persian monarch, and this monarch was a very wealthy man and and of, of Persia and had tons of wealth. Yet he had a serious heart. He had a heart for his people, and so from time to time he would uh, come down off his throne, come down out of the castle, what you may, and and go and mix intermingle with the people. And the more he would do that, he would start to, to blend in and start to wear the clothes of his people. And one time he came across a, a man who was, was a fireman. Not a fireman like today's, but he was the one lived, that was down in a cellar. And he would, uh, he, would, he would coax the furnace and he would heat the water for the bathhouse. And this man had tattered clothes and, and he spent most of his day in, in ashes, sitting on ashes in hot muggy room and so the the monarch went down and he and he spent time with this man and he really grew and had a fondness for this man and grew to to love him and they would spend hours talking and and this man would would share a meal he would share his humble piece of dried out bread and water with the monarch and his heart for this monarch's heart for this fireman grew and and one day he was he just felt like he needed to tell this fireman who he was so he came and he told the man who he was, that he was, he was the king, he was the monarch, and that he would give him any, any gift he wanted. He'd give him any wealth or anything that he needed that he would give to this man because he loved him so much. Um, and this man's response was, was interesting. He said, he kind of sat there for a while and thought about it, and, and the ruler was, didn't know why he was sitting there. And he said, well, is there anything you want? And he said, well, yeah, yes, Lord, I, I understand what you're saying, but leaving your palace and to be here with me and to partake in my food and listen to my troubles and to my heart, even, even you could give me no more precious gift than that. You gave me the richest gift that you could ever give. You gave of yourself. I only ask you never risk, withdraw this friendship from me. And so there's a, there's a hymn that Jesus, that it talks about Jesus, that he did the same thing for us. And he came down out of heaven and, and he spent time with us, a lowly sinner. And he came alongside us every day and, and draws close to us. And the hymn goes something like this, says, Thou dost leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou claimest to earth for me, but in Bethlehem home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal degree. But of lowly birth dost thou come to earth and in greatest humility. So Christ, he, he left the throne of heaven and he became a man and he became a poor man. He was that ultimate example of poverty. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He bore the wrath of God that the Father poured upon him, so he endured actual hell on earth, and that is what true deep poverty is, is hell on earth. 
He bore those sins on us and became the poorest of poorest. Why? Why would he become the poorest of poorest and endure hell on earth on himself? It's for us. It's so that we may become rich. So that we can inherit what we could never possibly do on our own. We could inherit eternal life with God, with the Son. So, here at Windsor Community Church, we always say that we believe that giving is between you and God, and it totally is. If you believe that you should give a tithe of 10%, you give a tithe of 10%. If you believe you should give 2%, 20%, whatever it is, it's between you and God. Us as pastors, we do not know what you give, and I thank the Lord for that. It's really between you and God, and we see as an example here the Macedonians, that they gave regardless of their circumstances. And so I know many people here are in financial troubles and struggles, but the Macedonians gave in their deep poverty. They still continued to give because they knew what Christ so richly gave to them. They knew the, the burden of debt that they were forgiven of was far more than they could ever give back. And they gave enthusiastically with enthusiasm and energy and excitement, begging and urging to be able to give. They gave spontaneously. They gave out of their own heart and outpouring. And they gave it voluntarily. They were not coerced. They found it was a privilege, not an obligation to give. So we have a box in the back. We don't pass a plate. We believe, and we said, that giving is between you and Lord. And we believe it should be voluntary. And we believe it should be cheerful. Yet we believe, as God words and says, and we'll go in the next couple chapters, that it be sacrificial. The church in Macedonia gave sacrificially. They gave to their ability and beyond their ability. So that's what God's word says in the New Testament. And we just trust the Lord for the next four weeks that God will work on your heart. I know he's been working on mine and our giving. And just want to spend a couple uh, minutes here. Just go before the Lord and just um, ask him what you should give. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our minds, and that you would uh, you would prompt our hearts about our giving. You know, and, and you know where we're at, you know where our finances are, and so, Lord, uh, that uh, your word says that uh, we should give, not begrudgingly, but. We should give because of what you gave to us. That you were poor, yet you made us rich. So Lord, uh, we just give that to you. And thank you for this time. In your name, amen.